0: This morning, as we're starting this series in the book of Malachi, uh, I've titled this series, our time in this book, Beyond Borders, Declaring the Greatness of God. And you'll see the namesake uh, for this series uh, in verse 5 this morning. But before we get there, I just wanted to uh, outline for us a little bit of what we're going to see as God guides us through his word in the book of Malachi over these next several weeks. What we're going to see is we're gonna observe God's overwhelming grace to bring about his purposes and invite us to join him in accomplishing his purposes. See, this small book carries with it an enormous message for the people of God. See, this book urges us as the people of God to adhere to the word of God that we may see and know the will of God so that we may do it. And this is what this book challenges us to do. A challenge for us to quickly realize our own sinfulness in light of his grace and turn to the Lord before it's too late. As we'll see in the weeks ahead, and as I'll emphasize for us, this book is followed by roughly a 300-year silence from the voice of God, as this is the final book in the Old Testament. And that silence is deafening, but... That silence is followed by the deafening roar of a lamb-like lion from the tribe of Judah who bursts onto the scene to accomplish God's purposes in us. But we'll get to that during the season of Advent. So with that in mind, let me ask you to go ahead and stand as you are able in honor of the reading of God's word. And again, we do this to acknowledge that this is the reason we are here. And this is the thing that is most worthy of our praise, which is God's voice speaking to us through his word. And so as, stand as you are able, and we will read our verses for this morning from Malachi chapter one, verses one through five. A pronouncement, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you ask, how have you loved us? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into a wasteland and gave his inheritance to the desert jackals. Though Edom says, we have been devastated, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of armies says this, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called a wicked country and the people the Lord has cursed forever. Your own eyes will see this and you yourselves will say, the Lord is great, even beyond the borders of Israel. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your truth to us through your word. And God, as we read your declaration your pronouncement your oracle through your messenger malachi god we pray that you would help us this morning to realize our own sinfulness in light of your holiness to see what it is that your word calls us to do that to see your will and your purposes lined out in your word and then help us to do it god help us to be a people who lives according to your word as the center of everything that we do We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. So at first glance, these five verses may not appear to hold much for us. And in fact, some of you might have gotten a little excited when you saw that it was only five verses that we were going through. And you may have thought that we might be getting out a little bit early. Now, I I have to tell you, I don't think that will be the case. Because although these five verses seem insignificant in light of everything that lay before us, in these five verses, God is laying the foundation for the humbling but incredible message that he is preparing to deliver to his people. You see, though we don't know much about the author, Malachi, other than his name literally means my messenger." You see, in some of the other prophets, we're told that the the prophet was the son of so-and-so or that in the year of king uh, so-and-so, we're given this detail into who this person is, who the family that they come from. We're given detail into uh, the time period in which they're prophesying. We don't get that in the book of Malachi. But what we do know is that he joins the long line of prophets who are called to deliver a humbling but loving message of strong rebuke to God's people. However, I think this provides us with a helpful framework, the fact that we don't have much information on who Malachi is provides us with a helpful framework to shine light on how specifically we are approached to approach this book. Specifically as we are to approach all of scripture really. And that is that the main focus should always be on the main character, yes, the Lord. Because oftentimes, as we read Scripture, we can get so caught up in the events that take place, the what that takes place. We can get caught up in the who the author is. We can get caught up in who the, the characters are. But in reality, we, and when we do that, we lose sight mistakenly of who the real main character is of all Scripture. That is the one who is at work behind it all and through it all, and that is God himself. And so in not knowing who Malachi is or not even given specific time frame, really, we, we have some context clues that help us have a time frame. It really helps us to focus on what is supposed to be focused on. And that is the message from the Lord. And there, there are, as I said, a few things that give us some specific in, insight into when this book was written. First, we see that the message is directed to Israel Singular rather than uh, the two rather than Judah or Israel, and so this kind of gives us uh, some context, meaning that the kingdom is once again unified at this time and is no longer divided in two, and this means that the message and the events of the book are addressed to those who have already returned from Babylonian exile, and so we know that what some of these people have been through in their time uh, as people of God and so We also notice that some of the messaging uh, later on in the book, as we'll get to, addresses significant issues with temple practices of the priests. And so this gives us indication that the temple has already been rebuilt. And so these indicators kind of give us like a 20-year time span from about 450 to 430 BC in which we can assume this book was written. Now, why is this important for us to consider? Well, as I've already said, it's important for us to consider the somewhat anonymity of the author because it focuses us on the message. And it's important for us to focus on the timing because it helps us to see God's sovereign work from the beginning of time. That after Malachi, as I already pointed out, we have a period of 300 years in which there is a deafening silence from God. And so it tells us everything that has been building up to this moment in which God is pointing to a coming Messiah through his servant Malachi. He's pointing to the coming Messiah, urging his people to prepare themselves. And then we have silence until Messiah comes. So we shall see in the days ahead for this morning, as we consider the message as a whole, we see that it highlights man's sinfulness in light of God's holiness and grace. As you look there again at verse 1, a pronouncement, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. So right off the back, this book draws our attention to the authority and holiness of God. As we're told that this is a pronouncement, or if you're reading from the ESV, it says an oracle. And Malachi wants it to be clear that what he is preparing to say and the people are preparing to hear is not merely a list of his musings or his gripes with the people, but that a message that is spoken directly from the Lord. And he wants it understood that the people need to listen based on God's authority, not his. And this brings up our first point, which I've provided for you on this morning's outline already. The prophets urge God's people to see his goodness, grace, and glory, and to respond in obedience to God's word with repentant This is a a continued theme throughout the major and minor prophets. And so the prophets cause us to ask ourselves, as I looked at this, I realized that there were some questions that anytime I read the prophets, I'm constantly forced to ask myself some of these questions. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list. The prophets urge us, bring about many different questions of ourselves, but these are kind of three overarching things that I feel like anytime I read a major or minor prophet that I am forced to ask myself. And the first is, how am I reflecting God's goodness, grace, and glory in my life? Because this is a consistent theme that God is urging the people to realize that this is what he created them, established them, and made a covenant with them to do, and that was declare his glory among all the nations. The second question that I'm forced to ask myself is, how am I walking in obedience to God's word? Because the prophets are constantly pointing to people to realize that God has already provided the instruction necessary for how he has called you to live and for what is best. And that is to live according to his word. And then the third question that I find myself asking is, what is the condition of my heart when it comes to the things of God? It's kind of like that thing that we all do Whether consciously or subconsciously, it's that morning mirror check, that final morning mirror check before we leave the house, right? You got to kind of, before you leave, especially for me this morning, because I was getting ready while everyone was asleep, I kind of had to do a mirror check more than once because I was getting ready in the dark, and you kind of always have to do that last final mirror check. You know, ladies, you have to make sure that you've put both earrings on. Men, you got to make sure that you didn't miss a button or get a button that is kind of offline with one another, or got to make sure that you're, you've remembered to fix your hair and everything that goes along with that. The prophets provide us a spiritual mirror check. A chance for us to introspectively look and see how is our life lining up with God's promises, with God's commands. And how are we living that out on a daily basis? Now this might sound rudimentary or maybe even obvious to some of us. However, this was not the case for these men who were tasked with the call to be a prophet to God's people. The very reason for which they are having to deliver this message... Or messages like this is because the people so often and so easily turned from God's ways, dishonored God's word, and sought to follow the ways of this world. So the message of the prophet is almost always one of warning and judgment and correction. This meant that the prophets were constantly having to go against the grain of the prevailing culture. So the message of the prophets is not a pat on the back. You're doing a great job. You're declaring my praises in a right way in the temple. You're declaring my glory to all the nations in a tremendous way. But the, pro- the message of the prophets is a warning that a time is coming when it will be too late. So re-correct, re-adjust, align yourselves with my promises and my ways because that is what is best. And church, this is exactly why we must elevate God's word to the position of ultimate authority in our lives. Because our hearts are infected with sin. And so if we allow ourselves to become disillusioned and listen to our desires or wants and our passion, then God's word is there to guide, to warn, and correct us to what is best. And this also means that if we are living lives in which we are elevating God's word to the position of ultimate authority, then we must prepare ourselves that we are going to live lives which are by nature countercultural. See, the world is always going to follow the ways of the world. They're always going to follow the ways of brokenness, regardless of time or place. That is the state of a world which is broken by sin. And this is the reality of our broken sinful condition. So when we align ourselves with God's ways through God's word, we will always be out of alignment with the world around us. And we must prepare ourselves for that reality. And this means we must caution ourselves also lest we ever find ourselves aligned with the world that when we're doing that spiritual check and we're seeing how the world is calling us to live or says where the world says we can find happiness, that when we do that mirror check, that spiritual mirror check, we see ourselves aligned with the world in some way, that is exactly where we need to focus on questioning ourselves and aligning ourselves, realigning ourselves with God's word. And this is exactly what the Lord wants Israel to recognize in this moment as we continue reading in verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. Now let's pause right there. The Lord begins his message. So this is the actual beginning of the message because before this we have the declaration that God has something to say to you. And now we have the actual message. And the Lord begins the message with, I have loved you. And at first glance, this might seem simple. But this is a weighty but assuring proclamation. Because in this one statement... The Lord points Israel back. He forces them to remember his steadfast faithfulness from generation to generation. And with this one phrase, the Lord calls into remembrance their entire history as a people, which is undeniably marked by his steadfast love and faithfulness. Because without him, there would be no Israel. In this simple but heavy phrase, we're taken all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant where we see God intentionally, purposely and sovereignly creating a covenant people that they might display his glory to all the nations. It is in this simple but wide-reaching phrase that we see our next point for this morning, which is that God's past faithfulness gives us insight into his present purposes. I have loved you because when we look back at what God has done and how God has acted in the past for his purposes we can know and realize and see and have a better understanding of how God might be acting in our lives in the here and now for us to accomplish his purposes and join him in his work because God is always at work for his glory to be made known And this is his sovereign purpose in us as his people, that we may reflect his glory. So as we align ourselves with God's word, with God's ways, and with God's will, this is what it produces in us, a reflection of God's glory. And this is what his promises produce, so that when we look back to how God has acted to bring about his purposes, we can know, see, and realize he is at work currently To make his glory known in my life and through my life. So, in loving Israel, God's intention was for them to reflect his grace, goodness, and love to the nations, to all the nations, to lift high the banner of God so that all may glorify him in covenant relationship. So, he liberates them from slavery. He splits the Red Sea, provides for them in the wilderness, establishes his covenant and gives them his word, establishes a place for them to worship him, paves the way for them to enter the promised land. Yet, in spite of God's steadfast faithfulness, the people time and again prove themselves perpetually unfaithful. That as he provided for them every time they failed, he provided grace to allow them, even his act of sending them into the wilderness was an act of grace for them to realize their sinfulness and realign themselves with his purposes. And so in spite of God's steadfast faithfulness, the people time again prove themselves perpetually unfaithful. And indeed, God points this out to the people in the very next sentence. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet, you ask, how have you loved us? See, this is where we see how our sin cuts straight to the heart of God. I have loved you. And then there's that one phrase, yet you ask, how have you loved us? See, despite God's abundant grace and provision for Israel, through his steadfast love and covenant faithfulness, the people's actions continually echo what we see in the wilderness complaints you bring us here to die? What we see in 1 Samuel 8, give us a king that we might be like all the other nations. And we see this time and again where God shows grace, provides opportunity for them to join him in his work and for them to realize his goodness and reflect his grace to all the nations. And time and again, we see statements like this. And these words echo from hearts that have not been transformed by the truth of God's word. And in this one little conditional word, that yet, we see the hard truth of our next point, which is that man's ways make a mockery of God's grace. That God provides grace for us time and again, and yet, we seek our ways over his. Yet, we think we know better. Yet, we seek to align ourselves with the temporary pleasures of this world instead of the eternal pleasures that come from living a life aligned with God's word. I have loved you, yet you ask, how have you loved us? So church, as we look at the cry of the prophets as they deliver these hard messages from the Lord, it should bring us as modern day disciples, as those who are not part of the people of Israel, but part of the body which God has established, that is his church, this should bring us to the point of reckoning in our own lives. How am I, or in what ways am I, ignoring God's constant and steadfast faithfulness in my life? And in doing so, how am I making a mockery Of God's grace. See, in Israel's minds, the Lord had not fully restored them the way that they thought he should. In their minds that they had not seen all the tribes restored, so to them God had not kept his promise. So because he had not restored the tribes, they asked this question, How have you loved us? Because things didn't work out the way that they thought it should. And so this leads them to, once again, questioning God's goodness and God's promises. So God's response is to provide them with a reminder because God can always provide us with a reminder of how faithful he has been. And this is what he provides in the the continuing verses. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you ask, how have you loved us? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into a wasteland and gave his inheritance to the desert jackals. So here we see, again, God takes it all the way back to the very beginning, to the very covenant that established Israel. See, God's covenant with Abraham is what he is pointing to. And it is here that we see how through man, though man's ways make a mockery of God's grace, we see our next point, God's grace abounds evermore. Because in pointing to this particular story, the Lord is calling into remembrance how he has remained faithful to establish Israel as a people for his purpose from their very origins. And in this way, we are forced to remember that it is God's grace which which has sustained the covenant from the beginning. So if you'll remember the story of Jacob and Esau, these were the sons of Isaac. Isaac, of course, was the son of the, uh, the, who the Lord promised he would provide to Abraham and Sarah and would establish a great nation through him, through this son that he promised to Abraham and Sarah. And the Lord was faithful to fulfill that promise despite Abraham and Sarah trying to take things into their own hands by having Ishmael with Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. So you only thought that those Sunday school stories were pointless or boring. But we see a, a narrative through all of Scripture which God is working out his good purposes to show us his grace. And so despite Abraham and Sarah making a mockery of God's grace by trying to take things into their own hands, God promised them this son and God's grace abounds evermore and he's faithful to fulfill that promise. And he accomplished for the purpose of accomplishing his purposes and his glory. And we see this in Genesis eighteen eighteen, if you're taking notes and you just want to write that off to the side. Genesis eighteen eighteen. Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. And God was faithful to fulfill this covenant by providing grace in the midst of Abraham and Sarah's ignorance and sinfulness, and then providing Isaac. And it was through Isaac that God fulfills his promise to Abraham, as we read in Genesis 25. Again, if you're taking notes, you want to write that reference off to the side. Genesis 25, 21 through 23, as Isaac fervently prays to the Lord that his wife Rebecca would conceive. And his wife Rebekah conceives twins. And we're told then that the children inside her struggled with each other. And those two children were, of course, Jacob and Esau. So Rebecca, wanting to know what is going on in there, declares to the Lord and consults with the Lord, and God says this to her in Genesis 25. The two nations two nations, are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So God is essentially saying to the people of Israel here in Malachi, by referring to this story, he's saying, I have shown my faithfulness to you from the very start by providing time and again to fulfill my promise that I would use you to glorify my name among the nations. Were it not for my choosing Abraham, were it not for my choosing Isaac and Jacob, there were it not for my faithful covenant love for you, you would not be, is what the Lord is saying by referring and pointing them to the truths that we see here in the story of Jacob and Esau. And he continues this point in the preceding verses. Picking back up in verse four, though Edom says, we have been devastated, but he will rebuild the ruins, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of armies says this, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called a wicked country and the people the Lord has cursed forever. Your own eyes will see this and you yourselves will say, the Lord is great, even beyond the borders of Israel. So here, the Lord continues to point out the difference between those who are in covenant relationship with him and those who are not. And he points to the Edomites, the descendants of Esau. And their pride has led them to be called wicked and cursed forever. And the Lord points to a specific historical event as evidence for how he has loved his people. Though he sent Israel into Babylonian captivity, it was for the explicit purpose of getting them to realize the severity of their sin and graciously guiding them back to himself. He did so with the promise that they would return. And he was faithful to that promise. Again, this is the context of which these people who have experienced Babylonian captivity, or who have relatives that experienced it and they're in now uh, a time which should be good in in providing for them to continue in the ways of the Lord. And here he points them to the truth that because Israel are his chosen covenant people, their punishment was was an act of his grace proposed for purpose, excuse me, for drawing them back to himself. And Edom, however, and God is, again, drawing this comparison. Edom, however, because they are not his chosen covenant people, look at what their condition is. Their land is doomed for constant chaos and ruin. So God essentially says, I chose Abraham out of all people. I chose Isaac instead of Ishmael. I chose Jacob instead of Esau, not based on any of their accomplishments or abilities, but based on my good purposes. And it is that exact reason that I have remained faithful to you by providing my grace and for my glory until my good purposes are complete. Which brings us to our next point on the outline this morning which is God's word directs us to the one who accomplishes his purposes. That is Christ on the cross. See, again, this is the final message of the Old Testament. And so history, all of history has been building to this point which God is declaring there is a a day coming soon when you will have to reckon for your sinfulness. And I am sending My messenger, the one who is to accomplish my purposes. And he will fulfill all of this. And we'll see this in the weeks ahead. Malachi is tasked with pointing this out to the people, the coming Christ. A final warning to repent and return to God before Messiah comes. See, Malachi is delivering a message that the Lord is preparing to do a great work and that will impact all of history into eternity. And he does not want his people to sit idly by and watch as it happens. But he is urging his people to do something about it now. That I am sending the one. I am sending my messenger. So please return to me now. Adhere to my word now. Don't wait until he comes. Do it now. And instead... Say, saying, I have prepared you for this, and this is indeed why I have created you, why I established you as a people, is for this very purpose, to accomplish my purposes. And this is the same truth, the same idea that we see Paul expressing to the church at Ephesus. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Now keep, your, keep a finger there in Malachi because we're coming back to it. But um, I could ask you to just write a note about Ephesians 2. But I felt like this was just too good for us to not read together. And so uh, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 2 while keeping a finger there in Malachi. Ephesians chapter 2. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we have several famous verses, verses that are uh, foundations upon which we can hold on to and cling to. But we start out in Ephesians 2 with that humbling truth that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, which you formerly walked, is what Paul says, and which we who who formerly walked. But then, starting in verse 4, so Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, we read this. So we were dead in our trespasses and sins, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So just as God was saying, I established you for the purpose of displaying my glory to the nations, in Christ on the cross, he is saying that I have established you as my church for the very purpose of being reflections and trophies of my grace to the world around you, that wherever you may go, you are raising high the banner of Christ so that all may know the grace that abounds in me. In Christ, we see God's plan from the very beginning. That all along, God has been about creating and establishing a people who will declare his glory as we enjoy his grace. And this finds its ultimate fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. That just as God was the one at work choosing Israel and establishing them and saving them, so too in the work of Christ on the cross do we see God's loving grace displayed for us. Just as Israel did nothing to deserve God's love, neither did we. And just as we see there in Ephesians 2, we see here back again in Malachi chapter 1. Our next point. God's word reveals how His purposes are accomplished in and through us. We see that in that phrase there in verse 5. Your own eyes will see. So God's word reveals how his purposes are accomplished in and through us that we may, first and foremost, that we may know him. Malachi is tasked with the responsibility of declaring God's judgment upon Israel by pointing them to the place where all of God's judgment and all of God's wrath will be poured out on his son, Jesus. And so it is only through the work of Christ on the cross that we can know God, and that is to be in right relationship with him. And the Lord is revealing here to Israel, I have loved you. And your own eyes will see just how far I'm willing to go to show my love for you. So as Paul so eloquently lays it out there for the church at Ephesus that we too all previously lived among them in our flesh, carrying out the desires of our flesh, as God who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us made us alive with Christ. So God's word reveals how his purposes are accomplished in and through us. That is first, that we may know him. And the second thing we see there in verse 5 of Malachi is that we may make him known. Because he says, you, your own eyes will see this and you yourselves will say, the Lord is great, even beyond the borders of Israel. So not only will God's people see the Lord's purposes accomplished, but they will be active participants in making his greatness known, even beyond the borders of Israel. Church, this is our call that we may see and know and experience God's greatness, his grace, and his love to us through the work of Christ on the cross, that we may be living reflections and trophies of his grace and love to be known to the world around us. See, the call of Malachi is for God's people to repent and return to the Lord before the Messiah comes. Not to wait until that day, but to do so now. And we'll continue to unpack these ideas and details included in the the messages in the week ahead. But this morning, I want to ask, how has this message landed on you? If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, then hear this today. God is saying to you, I have loved you. And he's saying it to you by Christ on the cross, that in Jesus God paid the way for you to be in right relationship with him. That Christ has paid the penalty for our sin so that we might be in right relationship with him forever. And the word which Malachi delivered to Israel is the same word which is being delivered to you today. Turn and repent before Jesus comes. As I said, this series will lead us all the way up to the season of Advent. And Advent is Latin for coming. And so we have the first advent of Jesus. And we await the second advent. See, Malachi here is warning them that the first advent is coming. So don't sit by and wait. Our warning, our message is the second advent is coming. And there's not another one to wait for after that. So respond accordingly now. And so if you're here today and you do have a personal relationship with Jesus... Church, the challenge for us is to make sure that we are walking in accordance with God's word, pursuing God's will, and that we are proclaiming the greatness of God as we enjoy his grace. That we may know him through his word to us and that we may make him known where he has placed us. As we conclude now, we're gonna move into a time of response. And just as Jacob wrestled with God, We want to allow these truths to wrestle with whatever parts of our heart are inclined to push back against God's word and God's ways. And so if you need to surrender to Christ, now is the time. If you need to repent in light of something the Lord has revealed to you this morning, now is the time. If you merely need to seek God and thank him for his grace, now is the time to do it. Don't wait. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this truth that is revealed in your word. God, help us as your people to declare your glory as we enjoy your grace. And help us not to sit idly by and wait for the coming of Jesus, but help us to be active agents of your will as we see according to your word. Help us to accomplish your purposes and join you in your work of making all things new. And help us to respond in this time however you call us to. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.